of the um, the storms and the the ups and uh, downs, the ebb and flow of life, and it's it's a great call to worship. To sing, raise a hallelujah with everything inside of me, because when the storms hit, Jesus is the hope, and He carries us through every single time. The storm sucks, but we get through it. I raise a hallelujah inside of me with everything inside of me I raise a hallelujah I will watch the darkness I will watch the darkness flee I raise a hallelujah I raise a hallelujah in the middle of the mystery I raise a hallelujah. Fear you lost. Fear you lost your hold on me. I'm going to sing. And I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're going to hear my praises roar up from the ashes. Hope will arise, death is defeated, the king is alive. Oh, I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm, louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the King is alive. Sing a little louder, sing a little louder, sing a little louder, sing a little louder, sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. 
this morning. I love that song, uh, to raise a hallelujah, man, to know that our hope is in the resurrection of, the, of Christ, of Jesus, uh, our Savior, who is literally, that is what we're driving towards, is this hope of knowing that uh, he has overcome all things for us, uh, and that's what our salvation is for. And so, anyway, so I love that song, good stuff. Uh, we're going to hear it again at the end of worship, kind of as a reprise as it goes, as we finish up uh, this morning, and so you'll hear it again because it's such a great song. Um, but anyway, so welcome to worship. Uh, just glad that you're here, and so we are continuing the series of understanding uh, hope through Jesus Christ, as Matthew tells it in his gospel. So we're going to be doing Matthew chapter 3 and 4 today. Uh, our coffee talk will have a special guest of Brian Look. Very excited to have Brian here. Uh, and so, uh, so, yeah, so we have another coffee talk this morning that we will talk through our questions of what, uh, what hope was learned from this or what gave you hope from these chapters, uh, what surprised you about Jesus' ministry, and what is the Spirit telling you to do. Uh, so house churches, get ready for that discussion, and let that be what jumpstarts your discussion today. Uh, so glad that you're here, and, uh, and let's get our hearts ready for worship. Let's pray. Lord God, we, uh, uh, we are at your mercy. There's so much that we have going on around us. There's goods, there's bads. We're seeing some things return to normal, we're not seeing others. Uh, and Lord, we see as, uh, even as government officials now, we look at it, we're realizing that hey, this virus is even sweeping through that as well. And so Lord, we pray for them. We pray for all who have contracted this. And we pray for all the families uh, who have lost loved ones throughout this virus. But Lord, we know that all hope is not lost. Uh, we come before you knowing that you are the creator and author of all hope. And so, God, I pray that you are giving that to all who are watching today and throughout this week. Uh, we love you, Lord, and we are wanting to give our lives to you each and every single day. Help us to do that. Things we pray in your name. Amen. All right, everybody, before we begin worship, um, we're going to just cover our offering like usual. Um, it's budget season now for the upcoming year. 
And so as we prepare our budget wall, it'll be a digital budget wall, something like that. Um, we're going to, as, as we get that together for everybody, thank you so much for your continued, continued, continual, there we go, continual giving uh, faithfully to the church. And it's budget season. That's always fun. We're just going to get all that ready for you guys. We just want to thank you guys again for your continued giving. You can give via the website, through text message, and through uh, mailing the checks and money in. Thank you guys so much. First song is Great Are You, Lord, because it's not our breath and our lungs, because God breathed into Adam. He breathes into us every day, and that he gives life, he gives love. So as we sing this song, just open our hearts and minds to receive God's breath, to receive his love and his light. You give life, you are love, you bring light. To the darkness you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. Listen, you give life again. You give life, you are love, you bring light. To the darkness you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. Great are you, Lord. Sing, you give life. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken great are you Lord it's your breath it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only.
the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing just with a different chorus on it. But the verses are all the same as the regular hymn. Come 
song nelson that gave me chills man um when i was in college when i was at huntington which is like the Millsaps, you know of the west alabama i mean the alabama west florida conference um we sang that in choir and so you think about a hundred person choir touring you know as a college choir going to do that we were in a greek orthodox church one time uh, just practicing you know the acoustics uh they build those churches like with, with a, a specific acoustic and holy cow, it was powerful, man. I love that song. love the history behind it. It's good stuff. Um, last week, uh, I, um, 
went home after worship, and, uh, and I did my typical routine, which is I, I saw Heather, and I was like, hey, did you go to worship? And it's weird as a, as a ministry couple to have to look at my wife and go, did you go to worship? Because we're like in the COVID, right? So, uh, so like, did you watch worship? Were you part of worship? She was like, of course, of course, of course. And I was like, okay, so did it make sense? Now, um, let me give you a little quick background on me. So that question is asked almost every week. My wife rolls her eyes at me almost every single week. And the reason why is because I recognize for me, uh, I have a tendency to second guess myself on what is being said and second guess, hey, is this the direction we really need to be going? Like I feel moved by the Spirit, but I always am like, yeah, but is that me or is that the Spirit? You know, like I'm always second guessing those things. Uh, and I also recognize that what comes from here and here doesn't always translate well to hear, <laughs> okay? And so I always ask that question. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, did it make sense? And she said, well, yeah, actually. And most of the time she was like, of course, Corey. And like, that's the end, right? And I get, that's what I get is the full answer. But when she said to me, and this is roughly what she said, she said, yeah, I thought it was really good. It was helpful. And I always love coffee talks. It was good to hear from Carrie again. And my heart went pitter patter for a little bit because I was like, oh, that was more than, of course, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, okay, good, good, good. But as I was, I was hearing that conversation, like, my next question to her was, was pretty pointed. It was, or do you think we're going to get tired of hearing about hope nine straight weeks? Because when you get down to it, this is going to be about nine weeks. We're going to walk this right into Advent. And she looked at me and she said, um, and she gave me that look that only my wife can give, right? You know, when she looks at the husband and goes, she goes, Corey, don't you think that we could handle hope for nine weeks right now? I think we'll be okay. And I went, yeah, okay. <laughs> it, was, it was a moment of just quiet, just, yeah, you're right. We do. We need hope. Uh, and we need it for, for, for nine weeks. And I hope that you guys can handle it for nine weeks. Huh? See what I did there? Huh? Okay, all right. I did a dad joke on my mom. My mom's birthday was yesterday, and I did a dad joke on my mom. She's like, Corey, I'm getting too old for this. I was like, for dad jokes? What? Like, you know, what is that? Uh, so no, but I do. I hope you can handle nine weeks of hope, because that's what this is. We're in the second week. Um, and really, this is from a, it's a different perspective, right? Uh, so we're looking at hope from a little bit of a different perspective as we walk through Matthew. Uh, and I do want to get a bit technical, so let me get a little academic on you for just a quick moment. I don't like to do this in sermons very often, but I, dis I think this is something that's necessary. So there's a difference between what's known as eisegesis and exegesis, right? So in hermeneutics, which is really a really fancy church word for, for preaching, if people want to be like, I've taken hermeneutical classes, it's like, I'm so glad you know how to speak in public. Like, that's, that's what the translation is. Sometimes we as Christians and as clergy like to sound really academic. And so when you talk about eisegesis and exegesis, eisegesis means literally you're reading something into the text that's not there. And so what that, you're literally iso, it means, it means literally you're isolating, you're, in, you're reading into something. And so, uh, so the, the struggle is, it's not like I went, oh my gosh, I'm struggling to come up with a topic. What should we do? Oh, hope. Okay, let's find something on hope. And let me just kind of read into something. That's eisegesis. Um, there are preachers that do that. I'm, I will confess to that, that, that there are preachers that do that. Um, and it's really hard sometimes to tell the difference when you're just reading into something. But there are times if you've ever heard a preacher preach and you go, that just doesn't match. It's generally because they're trying to read into something that's not there, right? They're trying to, they're, they're making a point and trying to make the Bible back your point up, okay? And I'm not, I'm not trying to teach and preach against somebody, but that's, that happens often, a lot more often than people would be comfortable with if they knew. What we're doing is exegetical. 
So when we talk about exegesis, it's literally, think about the, you know, the, in computers, the .exe, when you run something, you're executing something, you're getting something out, right? So that's the same thing as exegesis, and it's literally E-X-E-G, right? It's not J-E-S-U-S, okay? Uh, so it's exegesis, and what that means is we're getting something out of the Scripture that's there. Something is jumping out at us. It's teaching us from within the Scripture. We aren't reading into it. It's not like we have a particular idea and we're reading into it. It's that we have no ideas. Literally, you walk into it open-minded, and the Scripture jumps to you. And you go, man, okay. And so that's what happened as I've been reading through Matthew. As I read through Matthew, and I wasn't even intending to do a sermon series out of that. That's something else we do as clergy a lot, is we end up, uh, our quiet times in our sermon series end up matching up quite a lot. <laughs> and you go, oh yeah, that's really cool. Uh, no, don't do that. That's bad. Uh, because you've got to still have your own faith as well as the faith that you're doing. And when you try to wrap those two things together, it really can become cumbersome. And so uh, in this particular time, though, I was like, oh my gosh, this is something I've never seen before. So what we're doing is exegetical. As the hope just kept rising to the top over and over and over, and it wasn't just one situation, it was over and over in the Gospel of Matthew. And I went, man, we need to know this. Maybe we do need nine weeks on hope. You know, maybe we need that understanding of we, we could have some positive in our life right now, and that would be really, really good. Um, especially, and I'll tell you what helped this happen to me, and I encourage y'all to do this um, anyway. When we talk about reading the Gospels and, or reading Scripture from 20,000 feet, I always tell you to, to take a look at a different translation. Like, I'm an NIV guy. I've, I've enjoyed the NIV. I've read it so long. But it's a lot like writing an academic paper or a paper in college or a paper in high school, and you have written it, and it's really hard to edit your own paper because you, 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 you see something that's not there. You think it says what you think it says, but it doesn't say what you think it says. And so when you get into it, you always have to go, okay, I need somebody else to edit it from a different perspective. And that's what reading from a different translation does. I've read the NIV so many times that you just kind of glaze through it and you're like, okay, I know what it says. But when you have something like the message version, or in this particular case, the contemporary English version, which I'm not a huge fan of, there are some discrepancies through there, but um, it's enough to be able to go, hey, this is really different. And it makes things jump out different because you're reading it in a different way, in a different perspective. So that's kind of what we're having. That's what we're walking through now. That's why we're going back through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and so what I'm hoping, you know, and, and literally, I know it's going to sound, I'm going to be, it's like when people ask me, how's the well doing? And I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, it's just, it gets really, it gets punny after a while. I, I apologize. So if I say hope too many times, um, but the idea is what I'm really uh, praying that you get throughout this, this series is that, um, is, is literally that the hope that we have for today and for tomorrow and for our future, it comes through that of Jesus, the Christ. That's where hope comes from. Um, and it's, it, it's, it is prevalent, and Jesus walked this path with us uh, to show us that, yes, God, uh, he's, he's saying, yes, I am going to be here all the way through. Uh, and so today we're going into Matthew 3 and 4. So coffee talk-wise, you're going to hear the same questions, right? Uh, what gave you hope in these chapters? Uh, what, is it that, <clears throat> what is it that surprised you about Jesus' ministry? I think a lot of times, again, we read the miracles and we read uh, how he approaches people and how he says things the same way. Sometimes we can kind of get in a rut with that. And if you back up and look at it from a different perspective or a different translation, sometimes some of the other things will step out. You go, yeah, so that surprised me. I haven't caught that before in my first few times reading this. So what, has, what surprises you about Jesus' ministry Third question is, what does the Holy Spirit say? So uh, I'm excited to have Brian eventually come. I'm sorry, not yet. Sorry, I know. He's like, ah, now? Um, so I, he, I'm really excited. He is, uh, you know, husband to Renee, uh, dad for Xander and Ava, uh, and he is also troop master of our very own Troop One that we are always very, very proud of and very excited to see their ministry. So we're going to start with Matthew chapter 3. <clears throat> so forgive me as I go all like digital on you. 
because uh, I really, I thought I had a contemporary English version at home. Did you know that? I do not. So uh, we're going digital and hoping it doesn't like buffer and shut down. So here we go. We're just going to start with Matthew chapter 3. We're going to walk our way through it. It says, years later, uh, starting in verse 1, years later, John the Baptist started preaching in the desert of Judea. And he said, turn back to God. The kingdom of heaven will soon be here. And John was the one, the prophet Isaiah was talking about when he said, in the desert, someone is shouting, get the road ready for the Lord. Make a straight path for him. Now remember, he uses a lot of prophecy. So same kind of thing. It's another prophetic message. Let me see if I can remind myself where this one's out of. Uh, give me just a second because now I'm a digital. It's going crazy. Out of Isaiah again. Right. So, um, so that he uses Isaiah a lot. And again, that's a 700-year-old prophecy. So it's in verse 4, it says, John wore clothes made of camel's hair. He had a leather strap around his waist, ate grasshoppers and wild honey. Uh, from Jerusalem and all Judea, from the Jordan River Valley crowds of... of uh, let me try that again. And from the Jordan River Valley, crowds of people went to John. They told how sorry they were for their sins, and he baptized them in the river. Many Pharisees and Sadducees also came to be baptized, but John said to them, you bunch of snakes. <laughs> Don't you love hearing that from your ministers? <laughs> Nothing but a bunch of snakes. A uh, bunch of snakes, you were warned, uh, who warned you to run from the coming judgment? Do, uh, do something, uh, do something, uh, I'm sorry to try all this again, good gracious, I need another monster or something. Do something to show you have really given up your sins. And don't start telling yourselves that you belong to Abraham's family. I tell you that God can turn these stones into children of Abraham. An axe is ready to cut down the tree, uh, is ready to cut the trees down at the roots. Any tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into a fire. I baptize you with water so you will give up your sins, but someone more powerful is going to come. And I'm not good enough to carry even his sandals. I will he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His threshing fork is in his hand, and he is ready to separate the wheat from the husk. He will store the wheat in a barn and burn the husk in a fire that never goes out. I mean, real super encouraging stuff, right? <laughs> good job, John. That's really powerful, man. All right, so then we get Jesus. So it comes down to verse 13. It says, Jesus left Galilee and went to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John kept objecting. He said, I ought to be baptized by you. Why have you come to me? And Jesus answered, for now, this is how it should be. Because we must do all God wants us to do. And then John agreed. So Jesus was baptized. And as soon as he came out of the water, the sky opened and he saw the Spirit of God coming down on him like a dove. And then a voice from heaven said, this is my own dear son and I am pleased with him. So I think there are a couple of things in this chapter I want to point out. And that we could spend a lot, a lot, a lot of time if we really dug deep. But I think we're looking at understanding of hope through that of Matthew and how Matthew really wants us to have that hope. Uh, I think there are two things I want to point out, and then we're going to, we're going to move into chapter 4. The first is, and this is, again, where a pastor goes pitter-patter here in his heart, is there is a solid hope for revival. There is a hope for revival. Y'all, people were coming from all around to that place to confess their sins and to be baptized. That's called revival. That's what that is. Revivals, I know we set up and we schedule revivals. I know we do camp meetings and we do that kind of stuff, which is totally great. But this is a literal revival. This is an unplanned, unscheduled. It's not like John went to each of the towns and said, okay, y'all, uh, I'm going to be out there baptizing uh, in a mikvah, but really it's the Jordan River. Uh, and so if y'all want to come confess your sins, we're going to do this uh, on January 14th. Uh, and get ready. You know, it's not like that. Jesus, you know, John didn't do that. John just goes out to the desert. 
And he starts to do this. The Spirit is moving. Uh, the Spirit is drawing folks to holiness. That's what revival does. The Spirit begins to draw people in, draw into himself and says, you need to get right with God, confess your sins, get rid of all your junk, get right, and let's now have this uh, wholesome, uh, literally a holistic uh, relationship with your Creator. That's what revival does. And it's exciting. It's exciting. And to be quite honest with you, it can be quite scary. Because you're going, what is happening? Because generally in a revival like this, stuff is happening that you're going, I would have never thought that was possible. And I'll be honest with you, I have prayed for revival often, not only in this community, but in our church, and still believe it's coming at some point. I will continue to pray for it, and I hope and, and pray that others will do the same. Um, but when we, sometimes I wonder literally if we don't want revival because of how scary it can be. Number one, we don't want to give up our sins. We don't want to give up the stuff that holds us back. We don't want to actually be laid out bare in front of God. We want to be able to hold on to those one or two things and then live our lives with the way we want to live with our one or two vices. And you go, okay, is this a scary moment? What's going on? Well, enter the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're there because it's a scary thing, and they're like, what's going on? This would, this would actually go against our authority. Somebody else has more authority than we have. So there's a hope in this revival where the things and the structures that we have placed, uh, we have in place to help give us organization and move things forward, where God goes, not today. The structure is me. The revival is me. Who pushed it forward? God's like, me. Not you. And so the status quo goes, wait a minute, what's going on? Well, welcome to the Pharisees and Sadducees. And I know this is where I go, okay, the contemporary English version is a little strange. The contemporary English version says that the Pharisees and Sadducees came to be baptized. That is actually incorrect. So it's actually off just a little bit. You can translate it that way, but the, the, the main understanding that almost every other translation has is they came to the area of baptism. So here's what that means. Here's the difference. This is why John snaps back at him so quick. And he's like, y'all a bunch of snakes. It's because they're coming to set him up. They're coming to the area where baptism was so they can take what they see and report it back to the Pharisees and Sadducees. We hear Pharisee and Sadducee a lot in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, right? You don't really get to hear it in the Old Testament. It came in the inner... Those, two, those are literally like denominations that popped up in between uh, the intertestament period between Old and New Testaments. And so we go, oh, Pharisees and Sadducees. Let me to be honest with you. Those are warring theological viewpoints. They don't agree. And they don't really like each other. So when Pharisees and Sadducees are coming together, you want to talk about the status quo cage getting shaked? And that's why John says, y'all are nothing but snakes. I know why you're here. You're here to try to bust this up. Who warns you that the, that the judgment is coming so you can come out here and try to figure out how to get around it? He's like, uh-uh. He said, you're not even, not only are you not going to get around it, but somebody bigger and badder than me is going to come down and you're going to absolutely end all of this. That's why he jumps all over the Pharisees. Because John was known uh, as a, so it's a political move. John was known as what's, uh, uh, this denomination is a third denomination called the Essenes. And he is believed to have been, if he wasn't one at that time, he actually was influenced by one and left the community. It's more so believed that he was in the desert. These are known as literally like monks. The Essenes would be what we know as monks. And they were out in the desert and away from people. And obviously he was out in the desert, but he didn't dress like the Essenes normally did. So it's believed that he actually had left to go and follow the calling that God had given him, which is to go and baptize. Because the, the, the practices he was using was the, it were the same as that of the Essenes. 
And so he's literally, he's out there saying, just do this. And that's why he jumps all over him. So the, the revival brings a, a beautiful piece of clarity and singularity to how we view and understand God sometimes. And we go, yes, I want to be holy. Yes, I want to come confess. I'm drawn to confess my sins. I'm drawn to be able to do all these things. Um, and then we get to that of the baptism of Jesus. And here's the hope. When Jesus comes to be baptized, the hope of baptism is really what is drawn out of this. Um, when he says there's one more powerful than I that's going to come, and then Jesus leaves Galilee and goes, Matthew's trying to tell us, there's the guy, here he is. Here's the one who's more powerful than I, who's coming to be baptized, here he is. And this is why John objects. But here's the good news. We can share in this baptism. That's the good news. We share in the baptism. We are able to participate in the same baptism that Jesus had and be baptized into the same spirit, literally be claimed as a child of God by the same creator. When, Jesus looks, uh, when God looks down at Jesus and says, uh, this is my son, literally when we come to be baptized, it's the same thing that's being said to us. God is claiming us at baptism. This is my son. This is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. If that doesn't bring hope that when we do baptism and every time we do a baptism, all the rest of us are to remember our own baptisms and be like, yeah, yes, I am claimed. You are claimed. I am claimed. We are claimed by our creator. The hope of baptism is absolutely amazing. And it is for free. It's for free. We don't do anything to earn it. We go, man, I want to be connected to my creator. And we give our lives over to receive literally the free gift that's been given to us through salvation and baptism. It's beautiful. I love that hope. So in chapter 3, we get to see uh, the hope of revival and really the hope of baptism as well uh, as we are drawn into uh, the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God. Uh, so let's get into chapter 4. So when we start getting into chapter 4, we see everything changes. And it changes in a big way. Please work technology, please work technology. Yes, okay, this is good. All right, so we get to see a change in a really big way. So let's read chapter four. It says, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert so that the devil could test him. Y'all realize he was just baptized. What is the, the, the like number one opportunity is <laughs> right when we give our lives over to Christ and we're like, yes, I feel strong, I feel good. And Satan's like, I got you. And he comes right after so listen to this. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert so that the devil could test him. And after Jesus had gone without eating for 40 days and 40 nights, he was very hungry. Shocker, right? Then the devil came to him. Y'all see the order. The order is he fasted first. He's hungry. He's weak. And then the devil comes <laughs> at his weakest point. And the devil comes to him and says, if you are God's son, Tell these stones to turn into bread. And Jesus answered. The scriptures say, no one can live only on food. People need every word that God has spoken. Next, the devil took Jesus into the holy city, to the highest parts of the temple. And the devil said, if you are God's son, jump off. The scriptures say, you notice how Jesus, or God is using, I mean, uh, Satan, good Lord, I get this. It's like calling all four of your children in the dog's names and stuff in your house trying to get it right. Um, <laughs> uh, Satan actually uses scripture here against Jesus, who ironically is the word. Just throwing that out there. 
God will give his, angel, uh, give his angels orders about you. They will catch you in their arms, and you won't hurt your feet on the stones. And Jesus answered, the scriptures also say, <laughs> don't try to test the Lord your God. And finally, the devil took Jesus up on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms on the earth and their power. And the devil said to him, I will give all this to you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus answered, go away, Satan. The scriptures say, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left Jesus and the angels came to help him. Just like it said it would earlier. <laughs> Just throwing that out there too. All right, verse 12. <clears throat> when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison. So you can tell there's a little bit of a gap in time here, right? So when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he went to Galilee. But instead of staying in Nazareth, Jesus moved to Capernaum. This town was beside Lake Galilee uh, in the territory of Zebulun and Nephtali. So God's promise uh, came true, just as the prophet Isaiah said, Listen, lands of Zebulun and Nephtali, land along the road of the sea uh, and across the Jordan. Listen, Galilee, land of the Gentiles. Although your people live in darkness, they will see a bright light. Although they live in the shadow of death, a light will shine on them. And then Jesus started preaching, Turn back to God, the kingdom of heaven will soon be here. And while Jesus was walking along the shore of Lake Galilee, he saw two brothers. One was Simon, and also the other known as Peter. And the other was Andrew, and they were fishermen. And they were casting into the, uh, their net into the lake. And Jesus said to them, follow me. I will teach you how to bring in people instead of fish. Right then, the two brothers dropped their nets and went with him. And Jesus walked on until he saw James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And they were in a boat with their father mending the nets. And they said, uh, Jesus asked them to come with them. And at once they left the boat and their father and they went to Jesus, went with Jesus, sorry. And Jesus went all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news about God's kingdom. He also healed every kind of disease and sickness about uh, news about him spread over uh, all over Syria. And people with every kind of sickness or disease were brought to him. Some of them had a lot of demons in them. Others were brought, uh, were thought to be crazy and still others could not walk but Jesus healed them all. Large crowds followed Jesus from Galilee and the region around the ten cities known as the Decapolis. And they also came from Jerusalem, Judea, and, across, and from across the Jordan River. So listen, this is a lot. And I know a lot of times when you read big chunks of Scripture in church, everybody's like, oh my gosh, when are they going to be over? You know, it's like, come on, man, hurry up. But I, I'm reading full chapters at a time so you can get the flow. I want you to hear the overview of the story and how it flows. Because Matthew wants you to hear that. Uh, and we'll talk about it in just, in just a little bit. So, um, so in, there are two hopes that really shine through in chapter 4. So there's a hope to come to overcome temptation. Uh, we are given, through that of Jesus Christ, we are given the hope to actually overcome all the things that are thrown at us from day to day. And there's a lot, right? Every day we have something that's thrown at us. Some are difficult, some are easy to overcome, some not so much. Um, but it always seems to come at our weakest moments. Always. It's not when we're strong. It's not like Satan wants to waste his time when you're strong because you're going to be like, nope. Satan pops up. Hey, would you want to no. know? He's going to make to you're weak. And then the thing that he wants to offer you, he makes you go, hmm, that's possible. I could use that right now. So when he's at his weakest, that's when the devil comes at Jesus. After 40 days of fasting. Y'all remember when we did 30 days of fasting? Um, and, and we did it like one day a week. It's basically what it was, is all of us kind of choose one day a week or one item. Um, Jesus is tempted, number one, did y'all catch this? Number one, with food. 
obviously I've given into this temptation quite often. Um, but this is, this is uh, the very first thing is after he's fasted, he's hit up with food. But let's not just stop at the food part. Let's realize that he's attacking the, the lack of trust. Is there a lack of trust in God's ability to provide for us? Remember that? Give us this day our daily bread. The prayer that Jesus is going to teach his disciples coming up, give us this day our daily bread. And really, Satan is going, do you really think that God is going to give you your daily bread? Is he going to take care of you? He attacks the food, but he's really attacking, is God going to provide? He, he attacks the safety. One of the things we do in, uh, specifically, I think, in suburban America is that safety is a big deal. We want to know we're safe. We want to try to do things to ensure that we're safe. We've got locks on everything. We've got cameras up everywhere. I've got lights all around my house. I can turn them on and you get, you know, kind of near my house. People are going to be like, Who, what's that dude doing down there? Like, we are big on safety. And so he sends him to the top and says, throw yourself down. You'll be all right. And what he's doing is he's attacking to say, you think God's word is really true. Because if he says you're not going to, you know, bust your foot onto the rocks, <laughs> then you won't, Right? He's literally attacking uh, the belief in God's word through safety. And the last piece is power. We don't think about power a whole lot. Some of us are like, yeah, some people have more power than others. Most people have most of the power. And some people, most, let me try that again. Some people have most of the power and most of the people have very little power. But let's change the word power here to control. We are challenged with control every day. How much of my life am I going to take control over? How much of my life am I going to hold back from God? And I'm going to bow down and worship my own life and the things that I believe in my own control versus that of what God has called me to do. Jesus had already had all things placed under his power and authority. Satan doesn't have that power, but sure likes to think he does. But in the end, Jesus' ability, when we have hope through Jesus, it's Jesus' ability that gives us the opportunity to deflect all of those temptations and have the hope that we can overcome them. It's with Jesus that we can overcome all of those things. And it's with Jesus that we see the blueprint, and which is what Brian's going to bring up here in a little bit, is that we, we see the blueprint on how to face the attacks. But this last piece of hope, and I hope that y'all get this, catch this, and I'm going to do this kind of quickly. I know, long-winded long preacher. There is hope that Jesus calls ordinary people. You realize that who he started calling first, Peter, Andrew, James, John, were just hanging out at work. They were just living their lives and doing their thing. They weren't uh, fully trained or certified in ministry. They had no trophies of winning Bible scroll drills. Uh, they did not have, uh, you know, all the things that we think, you know, we always say, I'm just not ready, I'm just not ready, I'm just not ready. Do you really think those jokers were ready? No. Oh. It's not like he went, all right, all right, all right, I see some folks around here. I feel they're ready, they're not ready. He went, those guys right there are willing. That's the difference. And he says, let's go get them. So many folks tell me, you know, I'm just not ready. I'm just not ready. I'm just not ready. Um, neither were these guys. Jesus called them anyway. Jesus calls you anyway. And there's a, there's a line in there already that I love that he says, follow me and I will teach you. So folks, everyday ordinary people, breathe. Jesus calls you. It doesn't matter how ready you are. Jesus will train you. Jesus is with you. 
Jesus says, just be willing and I will take care of it all. Let us find hope in that Jesus calls the ordinary, not just the trained, the skilled, and the Bible scroll drills. That's, that's a huge difference, right? So we're going to call on Brian. Brian, let me, let me borrow you up here real quick. I, uh, second chair is right there. So I want to hear from others. I always like to hear from others as to how they read those things and interpreted those things as well. So, hey, Brian. Hey, hey. Hey, what's up? Um, yeah, please, just for understanding sake. Right. Um, as soon as you leave the chair, put it right back on. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I've got three questions for you. Thanks right. for being willing to do this. Um, I appreciate it. I'm going to get you to pull mic up here. So it's not so much for my understanding, but theirs. Okay. So, um, so where did you find hope, right? So you read Matthew 3, Matthew 4. I did. Uh, where did you find hope in the scriptures? Yeah. So I guess the biggest thing is that um, I, don't, I don't feel like I always have all the answers, right? I don't, I don't know... Like, you know, when, when something challenging comes, you know, crosses my path and, and, and that seems to happen all the time, you yeah. know, through, through every, every Shocker. aspect of your life. Yeah. Right. right. Um, engineer, by the way. So yes. Uh, yeah. Things come up all the time. Right. And so, uh, you know, I always struggle with it, is, is the way that I'm responding to this, the, the right way, the best way. And what I, the, the thing that I took away from reading the scripture was even Jesus, who supposedly had all the answers, yeah. supposedly had all the answers, yeah. still turned to scripture yeah. Oh, to, yeah. to, you know, to, for the path that he followed. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so those were the answers. That was kind of his blueprint, right? It was to right. always go back to the scriptures. Right. And I, I love the irony that he is the word, right. Right? that he is the word and he still turns around and uses that word uh, to, to literally just stave off all of the things that are coming at him. That's good. Like that hope, that's really good. I like that. Um, what about what surprised you about Jesus' ministry? Well, I think that that you know, like you like you alluded to, is he's not looking for people that that kind of rose to the top in 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 that in their faith and their. He's like, oh, fishermen. You yeah. Know, that that's <laughs> come with me. Come on. Right. Yeah. That, that was the part I think that that surprised me the most is is that it was so random how how it was written in that in that uh, in that chapter was was he didn't he didn't lead into any dis, you know discretion or it's like i've been i've been watching you for for you know months or yeah. years it's just hey you know you're here right now yeah come on and they obeyed right that's what's crazy to me is they followed right um and generally without hesitation because what the scripture seems to indicate is they just left their nets they put their nets down in the boats left it with because james and john were out fishing with their dad right so they're like all right dad it's See on dad. you yeah <laughs> as parents we'd be like <laughs> right, right, right. But you know, like, that, but the idea is they just did it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's pretty incredible, honestly. Um, okay, third question: um, What is the Spirit telling you to do with this? As you get answers, and, and I, I don't, I don't know if people have a hard time translating this question. But as you go, as you look at it, and you say, okay, Jesus went back to Scripture to be able to to push away and deflect all the temptations. Um, and, and Jesus really does go, and He calls us, and He calls all of us. The, the qualified and the unqualified, and generally with these guys, they were mostly the unqualified. It's not like they were uneducated people. They were educated to a certain point, but they were not educated in clergyhood. Right. So he's calling these ordinary folks. So what is it that the Holy Spirit then, as knowing those two things that were revealed, telling you why I reveal those two things, what is the Spirit telling you to do with it? Well, it just gives me the confidence that, that you know, even though I might not understand or know or, or have, feel like I'm fully studied in, in Scripture— that that I should have the confidence to to follow. Yeah. And and and, and that's that really is that's everything. Yeah. So I'm gonna pick on you for a second, right? So you're telling me that for instance, if you feel called to start, let's say, 
a Boy Scout troop. <laughs> Um, just throwing, picking stuff out of the air. Yeah, out of the right, air. Right, Random, air. right. Uh, if you were called to start a Boy Scout troop, are you telling me you didn't necessarily know how that was done? <laughs> yep. <laughs> right. You don't know necessarily. You know that there's a structure out there. You know you can kind of start tapping into it. But as we all know, even following the instructions is difficult. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and then you throw in, um, <laughs> you throw in people, uh, and all of the variances begin to take place. Right. Right. Uh, so no, that's, that's really great to be able to say, Hey, I'm just, I need to just do this. And he calls people like me and, and we just follow and look at what happens. Right. Um, because every time I've ever asked you about scouting stuff, it's so funny because you're never like, no, it's not me. And I know it's, it's not you, but it took somebody to say, I will be the person to just do it, to be willing, to be willing. Um, and, uh, and, and God, that's why I feel like starting a church. I mean, it really just took, you know, a, a family going, Hey, we're going to do this. And God has done the rest. Uh, it ain't anything because of me. This is called God doing God's stuff. Yeah. Um, so anyway, thanks, man. Yeah, stop questioning that you, whether or not you're ready. Yeah. You're being called. That's right. Um, in the end, what you find from Matthew, and, and he and I actually talked about this for a brief moment this week too, what you find in Matthew, and this is something he's trying to help us all understand, is there's a rhythm to life. Um, there's ups and there's downs. There's goods and there's bads. And if you read it in scripture, it literally goes up to down. It's Jesus' birth, here comes our Savior, hey, let's try to kill him, right? We put a hit out on Jesus. Uh, and then, uh, once you get away from there, it's, okay, let's send him to Egypt, and he gets away from things, and then he comes back, and he's like, yes, it's a comeback moment, yeah, but he can't go home because they may still kill him there too. Uh, and then it's, Jesus', Jesus experiences baptism, yeah, this is great stuff. Oh, wait a minute, let's go right into the temptation. It's up, and it's down, and that's the rhythm of life. It's never all here. And it's never down here, and it's never easy. But it's a trust issue. It becomes, and which is what Jesus was attacked on when it comes to the temptations. It comes down to the trust. Uh, and I will point out, too, that with, with the temptation, I believe that what Matthew was telling us is that Satan is always around. Here's the below 20,000 foot mark. When you get to a point uh, in this story, you begin to realize that Satan keeps coming at him, and keeps coming at him, and keeps coming at him. Um, and he talks about the temptations, and in some translations, they actually translate the word temptation as testing. Satan is testing Jesus. What's interesting is that same exact language is used with the Pharisees and Sadducees for the rest of the book. So Matthew is saying that Jesus, uh, the, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would come and test him and ask him, hey, what do you think about this law? Hey, what do you think about that law? And they were always around. He would go and sit down and go have a meal, and suddenly the Pharisees and Sadducees were there. You think Matthew's not saying, y'all, Satan's always around. We are always being tempted. We are always being attacked. It's never going to be always here. It's never always going to be here either. It's going to be here and here, and Jesus walks with it through every last bit of it. So remember that as you walk through. Baptism, you know, hope for revival, hope for baptism, hope for overcoming temptations, a hope uh, that Jesus calls regular, ordinary, everyday people. Um, so remember those questions in your discussion groups as our house, as our house churches uh, jump into discussion right after this. Uh, what gave you hope in these chapters? Uh, what is it that surprised you about Jesus' ministry in these chapters? And what is the Spirit telling you to do? Um, today, and rather than looking at you and going, okay, I'm going to give you a benediction and say bye. I'm going to give you a benediction, but I'm not going to say bye. Y'all can stay on for a while. You can cut off or whatever. But I absolutely love Raise a Hallelujah. And we're going to end. That's going to kind of be our, it's going to be a reprise, so to speak, of Raise a Hallelujah. And our benediction today, again, comes from Matthew 12, 21. It says, in the, uh, in the name of Jesus, the nations uh, will put their hope. 
That is where our hope comes from. So today, as we finish out, and I hate the word broadcast, but it kind of what it is, you know, as a, it's this parable of the sower, you know, it's the broadcasting. Anyway, as we finish out our worship and broadcast, um, let raise a hallelujah bring you hope today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Brian, thank you so much for coming. Absolutely. Amen. storm